Welcome to True Nature Radio. I'm Lori Regan. And I'm Heiner Fruhoff. Today's episode, and in fact next episode as well, are going to be called A Lifetime of Cultivation, The Remarkable Story of a Chinese Qigong Master. Over the past few episodes, Heiner and I have, and our guests have introduced the idea of cultivation and that cultivation is a really essential part of the development of a Chinese medical practitioner. But we haven't gone into a lot of detail about what cultivation is. So now what we're going to do is actually bring you an interview that was conducted in China with Master Wang Qingyu. Professor Wang is a lifetime professor for the traditional Chinese arts of nourishing life and martial arts at the Sichuan Academy of Cultural History. So he's actually the only professor having this specific title in China, probably the only professor of this subject matter in the world. He's also the lineage holder of one of the recognized classical lineages of physical and spiritual cultivation in China. So we're thrilled to be able to bring you this information because, as you'll see, Professor Wang has lived an extremely interesting and unusual life and brings a lot to us in the modern day. The interview, I'll be telling you the kinds of questions that we asked Professor Wang, and you'll hear his voice, and then what you'll hear after that is Dr. Heiner Fruhoff translating the information that Professor Wong provided. So the first thing we really wanted to know was about cultivation itself. Cultivation, there's a term that's used in China called chiku, which means eat bitter. Typically somebody that lived a life of cultivation and attained a high level of cultivation had this experience of many bitter episodes in their life. So we asked Professor Wong about the environment that he was born into, and the life situation that started off his journey of cultivation. I was born in 1937 in the middle of the Chinese-Japanese War, and uh, my birth literally happened on the battlefield with bullets and missiles flying all around, and uh, my mother's water broke on the battlefield and she had to give birth to me behind a rock and that rock was literally destroyed by a cannonball of some sort about one minute after she had moved after being done with the birthing process. That gives you an idea of the kind of environment that I was born into and after that it didn't exactly ease up either. The next thing we really wanted to find out from Professor Wong was about his particular lineage of cultivation. Traditionally, cultivation practices such as Qigong were practiced within these really tightly knit lineages, usually a family lineage. So we asked him about his family specifically. I come from a family, although my name is Wang, and come from a family where the family name was Deng. My grandfather used to be a general in the Qing Dynasty army, the last dynasty of the uh, Chinese imperial times. 
And my grandfather had fallen into disgrace with the imperial court and had offended officials at the imperial palace and therefore had to leave everything behind and fled south to the province of Sichuan, which since very ancient times had served as a refuge for people escaping political persecution and he brought with him my father, his son and because he had to hide and because he was pursued by the uh, military police, he decided to not expose my father to danger and therefore gave him up for adoption to a wealthy landowner in the northern Sichuan area uh, near a place called Jianggu and my father, when he was little, was immediately taken care of by his bride that who was older than him. He was maybe 11 or 12, and then the woman taking care of him at the time, sort of a glorified nanny, uh, was maybe 19 years old, and her name was Tang Dama. And she was really, because the family was extremely strict, she was the only person who really gave him motherly love, uh, which he needed so much at that time. And uh, it was an austere environment, despite the family wealth. There often wasn't enough to eat because they, there was this educational belief that hardship uh, would make a real man out of somebody. So she would sometimes get an extra bun from the kitchen and hide it under the pillow so she could feed her not even teenage husband uh, an extra bun. And that was discovered by the very stingy and careful mother of the entire estate. And she literally arrested Tang Dama and uh, brought the local constable and accused her of being a thief. And uh, at the time, estates had the, the right to, very much like in the movie The Red Lantern, police your own uh, family and people working for you. So she was humiliated, she was beaten. And uh, finally, she was so unhappy about the situation that she went to the lake in the back of the estate and drowned herself in sorrow. My father then, having lost the only person he felt truly loved him, was so upset about this situation that as a young boy, he piled the hay really high and uh, behind the, the, the main house and burned the, set the estate on fire and ran away with nothing. And he made his way around the local tea houses in the, in the Sichuan area. And he, he was a waiter in tea houses. He was a runner for people. There was a lot of opium addiction at the time. So people would lie on the ground in their half days and he would go outside and fetch something that they would need. So when he was 14 or 15 years old, he joined the army, which came natural to him because um, he had been trained from childhood on by his father, my grandfather, um, in wushu, which is martial arts of the old Chinese style. And he very soon distinguished himself uh, in a raid on an estate, and I should say that the way how the army was operating at the time that you basically had a bunch of people in uniform that uh, were freeloaders that would just go around the country and abuse their power and uh, 
seize whatever uh, property they could get their hands on. And uh, when every, uh, wealthy landowners at that time, they had uh, their own defending armies and could very often rebuke, uh, overtake uh, uh, attempts like this. So he was a young daredevil and climbed up on the roof and slung four hand grenades together and threw them in the middle of the estate so that uh, scared the people in the middle so much that they hoisted the white flag. And so immediately he became the, 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 the deputy leader of this pirate battalion, one could call it, and soon was the, the leader or made the equivalent of a colonel. At a certain point, the superiors of the more organized part of the army took note of this daredevil uh, battalion and promoted 20 people to study at Sun Yat-sen's Huangpu Junxiao, which is the official military academy that is, uh, can be compared to West Point maybe at that point in China. And uh, he was one of them. And after five months, the Beifa Zhanzheng started, which is the Sun Yat-sen's Kuomintang uh, attempt to really, while China was politically unified, it was really run by warlords, and every one of them, they ruled China was their personal piggy bank there in their little area. And so the Kuomintang army was marching uh, northward, starting in Guangdong province, mar marching northward to really unify the country, and my father joined that effort. These were clearly really wild times. They were chaotic. There was a lot of war. His father clearly um, had, was a character, you know, had a very intense life experiences at that point. We were really wondering what role Professor Wong's mother played in his life at this young age. My mother was born to the Liek clan in the Wuhan area, which was more central China. And my father was constantly on the road uh, during his military expeditions, and he had different women in different places. So he met my mother in Wuhan, and my mother was in the army herself. She was a remarkable woman, extremely strong. Uh, but she was also cruel uh, in the way that one thing that she did that is hard to imagine from a, a perspective nowadays is that the first child she had was my older brother, and uh, when he was about two years old, she killed my brother uh, very in a very calculated uh, way out of necessity to save more people. Um, she was on uh, patrol. Uh, in a corn near a cornfield when her men were outnumbered. She had about 200 men underneath her were outnumbered by a much larger contingent of Japanese troops, and they were hiding in the cornfield, and everybody had to be absolutely quiet. And my older brother was uh, whimpering and starting to cry. She told him to be quiet, and he wasn't, so she, she put a hand over his mouth and turned his neck and threw him in the ditch and just kicked her horse to move forward and to just move on. So that was who my mother was. 
Um, she also gave birth to an older sister and then finally to me in the year 1937 on the battleground. And after I was born, to settle down more, um, my father and my mother decided to return to the old family home, if that's what it can be called, in northern Sichuan, the home that had originally adopted my father. In the meantime, of course, the Wang family had adopted another son, um, and while my father was accepted back into the family again, his various children, there weren't. They were considered to be zhajong. Uh, they were like bastards that were outside uh, of their family and were considered to be a threat uh, in potentially later wanting to inherit some of the Wang family assets. So my mother, in her usual uh, military scheming way, she devised a plan to kill my grandmother, to kill uh, the uh, mother of the Wang clan, and succeeded in poisoning her by conspiring with a family doctor, and then stole some treasures and put herself up in a estate uh, somewhere on on the, uh, the family possessions. My grandfather Wang, of course, was still there. And my father, in the meantime, went everywhere in the country. So I was basically orphaned in a family that was hostile toward me. Uh, and I literally survived multiple assassination attempts on my life that were done by different employees of my grandfather and by some of these uh, children also um, that were technically my cousins that were children of the second adopted son. So in this really unusual and intense backdrop, we wanted to know then about the early experiences that Professor Wang had with martial arts and with his Qigong or cultivation training. So in 1946, when I was nine years old, my father moved to Chongqing, and he found that it was now time to uh, teach me more martial arts because I, he recognized that I was in mortal danger at home in northern Sichuan, and he asked Du Xinwu, who was a family friend and the former bodyguard of Sun Yat-sen, and as such, probably the most famous martial artist in the whole country. Sun Yat-sen uh, had died earlier on, but Du Xinwu now was a private uh, martial artist who was for hire, mostly for wealthy mar merchants. And uh, my father very much wanted him to become my shufu, my martial arts master, and teach me something real, because that was often done outside of the family uh, in ancient times that you felt like it was a, your best friend or uh, a near relative could do that better to overcome this very sometimes overly emotional family bonds. Du Xinwu declined. He said, I am too busy. I am 
Every mission I'm on is dangerous, and I cannot subject your son to that. And it was as a result of that that I found my real master, Li Yunhong, also called Huan Xi Daoren, the, the hermit with the ubiquitous smile, uh, and got to study with him at Xinyaguan Monastery, also in northern Sichuan, because he said, I can't teach you personally, but I'm going to write a letter to Master Li. In Chinese culture, everything is relationship, uh, and he will accept you under his tutelage for sure. And it was there that I studied the culture, the philosophy, the cosmology, the movements of the Jinjingmen, the venerable style of the tendon-changing school of Qigong. So at this point, Wang Qingyu was 11 years old, but he was being introduced, or had been actually for several years at this point, to his martial arts training, to his Qigong training. We asked him to explain more about what the nature of that training actually was. Keep in mind, when I started studying martial arts, it was for survival purposes. What I really was, I was a Xiaoye. I was a little princeling, somebody who was spoiled rotten inside of an artificially peaceful area in the middle of a war-torn nation. I had enough food to eat, I had enough clothes to wear, which was not the case for a lot of people there. And I, the fact of the matter is, I didn't like wushu, I didn't like martial arts, I loved music. I thought music was the epitome of Zhen Shanmei, of the ancient ideals of truth and beauty and goodness, and that that was the real thing that would give a human being uh, spiritual and mental force and power. However, Chinese families are very tradition-bound, and my father felt that for six generations before him, the family had been a martial arts family that was somehow related to the military, and I was at that point his beloved son uh, that had a good memory, so he felt like that of all his children in various places, I was the one who should continue the family tradition. So from one day to the next, at some point in my young life, I was quite literally physically forced with beatings and uh, at the point of a whip to go and study the martial arts uh, lineages. And at the very beginning, he brought me under the tutelage of a man called Yang Shaoyun, who was a colonel in the Guomindang army, sort of a minor general figure. And this person had a son, and he trained his son and myself together. And this was an extremely strict man. Uh, and when we would move 
slightly different from how he had shown us. His eyes would be popping out of his head uh, and uh, as big as sesame balls. And he was very prone to yelling. He would beat us. He had a bad temper. And both of us, needless to say, we were very afraid. We had to get up early in the morning. And uh, for about one year, what we learned was the Wei Tuo Liu Hemen, which is basically a style of external Kung Fu, which is very similar to the modern kind of Kung Fu training that you see uh, on TV nowadays. And I personally had never had to develop an interest for these things that are very much like a Chinese style of boxing with a lot of shouting and brick breaking and felt that it was cool, felt that it was bitter, not because it was physically hard, but because my heart wasn't in it. Uh, I learned the, the different kind of uh, uh, fist forms, like the Xingyi style, which is a famous form from Shanxi province, and uh, uh, external forms, internal forms. And then finally, when my father felt I had made enough progress and that I was in a certain way having to endure abuse on the hands of this uh, Colonel Yang, he uh, taught me personally uh, the Deng Jia uh, family line, uh, which was primarily something that is called the Yuemen style, the Yuefei the people's hero from ancient times, the 11 movements that, according to legend, he had passed on. And um, this is including the what is called the Yujia Taifa, things where you learn how to steal your body, that if somebody uh, hits you hard in the throat or kicks you in the genitals, that you that doesn't hurt harm you or how you can project your force into somebody else's body that their internal organs shatter, that sort of thing. Um, my uh, part of the education was Wen and Wu, the yin and yang of Chinese education, which is basically you had to memorize some of the classics that are always the cosmology and philosophy, uh, even in these external, rather brute force uh, application type of lineages, it was required that you had a good uh, grounding in the philosophy and the literature, and I had a good memory, and my father appreciated that. And then, uh, of course, the martial arts training, which consisted a lot, again, with my father's tempers, eruptions, and beatings, and uh, me standing in the so-called horse stance for a long time, for up to 40 minutes, which is this somewhat unnatural way of standing in a way that your body becomes like an antenna between heaven and earth but you are standing in a position as if you are sitting on a horse with your legs apart and your knees down, and after a while your, 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 your muscles can't take it anymore, and you start sweating and you start uh, shivering, and while your nervous system is reorganizing itself and internal passageways are opening, this is very difficult to do for a 12-year-old child if you don't know what this is for. He would, uh, he would naturally start sinking down toward the bottom because you want to sit down. And uh, my father put, uh, not only did he stand with a whip behind me, and uh, uh, he, he, he made me, he put a piece of incense underneath my rear end, which he would light, and if I would sink down, 
too low, then I would literally burn my buns there. Uh, in the winter, he made me stand out in the snow with a t-shirt on, and he would mercilessly beat me. You can still see the scars on my back if I, if I uh, would not comply with his strict training. So from here, we wanted to know how he ended up with the teacher who really became the main teacher in his life, the one who really who gave him a real connection to the cultivation. Because if things had continued the way they were with his father, it didn't seem like he would actually pursue it once he was out of the presence of his father. So I have to cry every time when I talk about my shifu. I don't know why that is like this. But he taught me so many things, how to zuren, how to be a real human being, how to not talk about others, but look at yourself first, how to be a person of virtue who embraces Tao De, who not just talks about the Tao, the path of the heavens and the laws of nature, but knows how to exercise them and bring them out in your own life, the De. And that, so he was a real complete master in that he gave me real Xuewen, real knowledge, and the only thing I regret is that I never had a chance to give back to him. I never had a chance to repay that deep gratitude that I felt in my heart that still sustains me to this day. On that touching note, we've reached the end of today's episode of True Nature Radio. We'll continue the life story of Professor Wong next week talking more about his teacher, the one who really provided him with this deep level of connection to cultivation. So we'll find out more about his teacher, more about his practices, and more about how he has used those practices in his lifetime to become one of the recognized cultivation masters of our day. If you want to have more information about cultivation within classical Chinese medicine studies, go to ncnm.edu. And if you want to listen to and watch more of Dr. Wang Qingyu and masters like him that are still alive, go to classicalchinesemedicine.org. Thanks for joining us on this episode of True Nature Radio.